Well, good morning. I'm going to tell you, I'm about ready to get back to some normalcy. I, um, <clears throat> I think I've just about had all I can take of this. Um, and so, um, y'all pray for us as we, um, as we try to figure this out, but um, as I told, we had a meeting with our pastors and deacons, which we've been meeting a lot of Sunday mornings now, just praying together and discussing what we should do and what it looks like. And uh, I met with the Sunday school teachers and the VBS directors this morning to try to get them all together to, uh, to see where all of them were at. And um, we just really feel like that our church is on a spiritual decline. Can I be honest with you this morning? Can I, can I talk, just talk this morning? And um, if we have to sacrifice spiritual health to this degree, to the point that <clears throat> we're trying to protect physical health, I don't believe we've made a good decision. So I ask you for your prayers. I ask you to help us as we try to figure this out and uh, work through this. But um, uh, we're going to make some tough decisions here in the next few weeks and, and we're going to try to get things back to where um, we can see this church start growing spiritually again. And I'm not just talking about numbers. I can account for a lot of empty seats this morning. When I'm talking about spiritual health, I'm talking about, I'm talking about your prayer lives. I'm talking about your, uh, your study lives. I'm talking about your family, spiritual family lives. Coming together and ministering to each other and growing together. All of that has basically been put on a standstill. And we are not in a good place. And it's time that we address it. And so I pray that, or I ask you that you'll be praying for us and that um, you'll trust that we're not treating this thing as if it's not to be concerning. Um, we're not going to act like this is not something we need to keep our eye on. But at the same time, we see that your spiritual health is far more important than your physical health. And so we want to walk this line of trying to be wise on both sides, of making sure that we are protecting you physically as much as possible, but at the same time, we are ministering to you and we're giving you opportunity to minister to each other spiritually. And so um, that's a delicate balance and it's going to take the wisdom of God to be able to walk this line, but I, I believe we can do it and we're going to figure this out uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Before we get started this morning, I would like to go to the Lord in prayer. And um, do we have any waters over there? Would one of y'all run and grab me a water, please, ma'am? Hey. Wait a minute, he don't need everybody. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, this um, this past week, I, I was out. We were out. Um, I had a sinus infection. And we had decided that um, if somebody is sick, we're going to ask you to stay at home. You know, and um, so, but I thought, well, I know it's just a sinus infection, so I'm going to come to church. Then I thought, that's the very thing that we're asking people not to do. That's the very thing that we're asking people not to do. And so Friday I got up and went to one stop and I thought, well, I'll get a COVID test 
and I'll get my results back Saturday, and I can be at church on, on Sunday. Well, I got my test, and by the way, they go through your nose, and they touch the bottom of your toes <laughs> to get that thing. And, um, and so um, by the time they got out of my toe, and, um, and I got back to, uh, I, I was working that day, so I went back to work, and then they, they told me it's going to be after they took the test. They said it's going to be Monday or Tuesday before we get the results back. So it backfired on me. And so um, I didn't get to make it last Sunday, and I apologize. But it was funny because Nick was out of town. So he had Chris Burchell was going to preach. Well, then um, Chris, his son, had to get tested for COVID. So then they were out. They couldn't come. Well, then I got tested for COVID, so I'm out. I can't come. And then Nathan, bless his heart, Nathan, I'm telling y'all what, y'all have no idea how much a blessing Nathan Peterson is to this congregation. But And he's not even here to, to, to hear it. But, uh, but Nathan, bless his heart, he just said, hey, I'm in. I'll do it. I mean, no questions asked. I don't care what it is. Nathan just steps up and says, here I am, Lord, send me. And um, I love that servant heart. But um, I'm so thankful to have so many people in this congregation that are just willing to just step up and go, no matter what happens. I mean, how many people do you know in other churches that if you say, hey, I need somebody to preach next Sunday, how many of how many other churches got ten hands that raise all across the congregation and says, we're, we're ready to go? And I mean, I probably have ten or more in this congregation that are always ready to go at any moment's notice. And I am so thankful for that. So I appreciate y'all... Um, just being willing to serve the way that you are. So before we get into our uh, message this morning, um, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And um, who feels led to lead us in prayer this morning? Not everybody at once. Go ahead, G. Father, Amen. <clears throat> Nick was um, supposed to be back in the pulpit this morning. It's his time, and y'all know we trade out. <clears throat> he takes it a little while, I take it a little while, but um, I sent him a message and told him, I said, hey brother, unless you've just got something laying heavy on your heart, I'd really like to preach this morning. And I think he had been sick too, so, um, so he... He very happily said, go for it. And so um, I'm going to be talking to you this morning from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and we'll read verses 11 through 13. <clears throat> Y'all forgive me if I cough a little bit, but I did test negative, all right? So if I start coughing, don't start backing up. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll read verses 11 through 13. If you have the means and you're able, we stand to just, it's just our way to show reverence toward this living and powerful Word of God. And I would ask you to keep your Bibles close by. If you don't have your Bible with you, surely most everybody's got a phone that has a Bible app. Um, open it up. Uh, I don't care who you are, young ones, whoever. If you've got a phone, 
pick it up. Y'all go with me because I want you to study the Word with me this morning and see what God has to say to us. Beginning in verse 11, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it reads like this. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in His own testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession Himself to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. This morning I want to talk to you from the topic stay in the good fight. Stay in the good fight. In this book of 1 Timothy, I want to lay out just a little bit of context for you so that you can see how we got to the end of it here in chapter 6. But this is a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to his faithful servant, his faithful minister that is pastor over the only church in the city of Ephesus. And he writes this letter to encourage Timothy, to exhort him to... uh, to stand strong in the faith, to make sure that in his responsibilities, Timothy understands what his responsibilities are as a pastor, as a man of God, and that Timothy can guide this church alone. And so it's important that when we read this, we understand that he's talking first and foremost to the leaders of the churches, but then on that same token, he's also talking... of to the men and women of God in general. So we can take what is applied here and understand that it also trickles down. Because whatever it is that God requires of me as a pastor, He also requires it of you, but me as an example first. Me as a teacher, as a one who can be the example that you are supposed to to follow after. You are supposed to see the progress being made in my life. And so when we read this letter, I want you to understand this is not just for pastors, although it applies to them first, but it also trickles down to every man and every woman. So just to give you a few uh, pointers, if you're in 1 Timothy, go back to cha- hold your place in chapter 6, go back to chapter 1, and I want to show you some of the responsibilities that, um, that Paul is letting Timothy know Timothy, this is what you're responsible for. And as we go through this, I want you to keep in mind, Timothy is not a real bold person. He's kind of a timid person. Timothy is, um, is not a, um, a mature leader in the church. He's young. This is a guy that um, he has a lot of issues with uh, self-esteem probably. He doesn't feel like a leader. And so Paul has to really send this letter to encourage him, to exhort him in it. And one of the first things he wants him to know in uh, chapter 1, let's look at verse um, 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, 
remain at Ephesus. Remember, this is Paul talking to Timothy. So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And so one of the things, without reading the whole first chapter, Timothy is now being charged as the pastor of this church to make sure that he deals with the false teachers, deals with the false doctrine that's being taught in the church. So one of the responsibilities is to make sure that the truth of the Word of God is the only thing that's being taught. So this is a pretty tough responsibility. Remember, Timothy's not an old man in the faith. He's not a well-respected person. And so now he has to come into this church, which is the only church in this big city of Ephesus, the church in which all the other churches got their start from. And now he comes in and he has to make sure that he addresses false teachers. And he has to address false doctrines that are being taught. So this adds to his timidness and to his uh, stress, if you will, as a pastor. Next, in chapter 2, you'll see that it is also Timothy's lifestyle, it is also his responsibility to make sure that he leads the people in a lifestyle of prayer. So in chapter 2, Paul says, first of all, Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here's what we see in that. Paul wants Timothy as the leader of this church to lead them in a lifestyle of prayer. So as a church, we come together and we pray. First and foremost, we pray for our leaders that as Christians we may live quiet and dignified lives and live in peace as Christians if it be God's will. And then we pray for all people because it is God's desire that all come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have a responsibility, church, to come together and to pray together for both our leaders and to pray for each other and then to pray for all people, to pray for the lost of this world that they would come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Timothy has to lead in that. And how many of you know that prayer does not come natural to us? No, if you're going to have a lifestyle of prayer, it's because you fight for it. It's because in a sense, you make yourself do it. Because what comes natural for you is to just get up and drink your coffee and go to work. What comes natural for you is to lay down in your bed at night and just go to sleep. What comes natural for you is to pick up your phone and scroll through Facebook. What comes natural for you is to sit on your couch and flip through the TV stations. What comes natural for you is to do whatever it is that self enjoys in this life. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? And so... This lifestyle of prayer that Timothy has the responsibility to lead this church in is not what comes natural, not even to Timothy. And so it's a fight. It's a struggle. Next we see, in, uh, if you were to go on in chapters 2 and 3, um, in verse 8, he says, I desire then that in every place that the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without angle, without anger or quarreling, 
Likewise also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but that which is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And so here's what we see. Now Timothy has the responsibility to address the roles of men and women in the church. Now how many of you know that it's not an easy job to address the roles of men and women in the church? Notice what Paul tells Timothy next in verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. How many pastors do you know that look forward to the opportunity to say, Women, hush your mouth. Not I. I want you to think about the load that Timothy has here. Timothy has the responsibility of addressing false teachers when he's a kid himself. He has the responsibility of coming in and leading people that it's not natural for them that they should have a lifestyle of prayer. He has the responsibility of coming in and teaching the roles of both women and men in the church. And then he has the responsibility of addressing who is qualified for this position in ministry and who's not qualified for this position in ministry. And now let's keep on going if you were to go to uh, chapter 4. Just for sake of time, I'll skip over chapter 3 because most of y'all should be very familiar with it. Chapter 4 in verse 7, Timothy is also responsible for this. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So here's another thing Timothy has responsibility for. His own progress in the faith. Timothy has to make sure as a pastor that he is continuing to grow himself. Because let me tell you something. If Timothy is the lid on this kettle, nothing gets over the lid. And I want you to understand that we have to make sure as the top of this kettle we have to make sure that we are progressing in our own godliness. And here's why. Go with me to chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. So it is very important that as the pastor of this church that Timothy is living such a life and he is progressing in his faith that he is an example in his speech, in his love, in his faith, in his purity. And then he leads this church into making sure that they are progressing in their holiness as well. And so all this responsibility that Timothy is responsible for and then most importantly, he's responsible for his own growth in the faith, which again, does not come natural. This is not natural things that take place. And then if you were to go to verse 13 of the same chapter, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting the congregation, to teaching the congregation, 
It is very important that we devote ourselves. What does it mean to be devoted to something? What? Sold out. You give yourself to it. To the reading of Scripture in the public. It is important that I do... More important than me come in here and preach you an entertaining sermon is that I come in here and I read the Scriptures to you. That's the truth. He says, devote yourself to it. How many of you, it comes natural to you to just read your Bible? Nobody? I didn't figure it'd be very many. Most of you, if you'll be honest with me, when you leave here on Sunday mornings, you put it in the back seat of your truck, and where does it stay? Until when? Next Sunday morning. Or maybe you actually take it into your house and you set it on the counter and then, or wherever your little place is that you set. And so sometimes you set, bring it in the house and set it down and that's where it sits until you come back the next week to pick it back up at church. Or if you're like me, maybe you are even bold enough that you bring it to your work and you take it in and you sit it down in your work and it sits on the desk until you clock out and go home that night and that's where it sits sometimes. And so it's not natural for us to do this. This is a fight that we have to make sure that we're staying in the fight. The fight for prayer. The fight for our progress and holiness. The fight for, for listening to God as He speaks to us through His Word. And yet, many of us, we don't stay in the fight. We just surrender. In verse 15 of the same chapter, look what he says. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Immerse yourself in these things, pastor. But again, this is not just for the pastor. This is for all the men and women of God beginning with the pastor. Immerse yourself in these things. Stay in the fight, Timothy. Stay in the fight, Kevin. Stay in the fight, Nick, because it is not natural for you to stay in the fight. What is natural is for you to sit down and not fight. That's what's natural. And that's what so many of us do, especially during this time that we have created a mentality that church is not vital. That the public reading of Scripture is not important. That public prayer is not important. We have created this mentality. And now, you know how I know this? Look around this morning. Now, I'm not faulting anybody for going on a family vacation. Listen, if one of y'all want to provide me a trip to go to Florida next week, me and my family will probably go. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. If any of you want to do that. Or if you just want to invite me to come and pay my way, I'll go. My family can stay here, but I'll go. So I'm not upset with anybody about family vacations or anything like that. I'm not. But how many people during this time, for the most part, have missed work? I just wonder. How many of you have, not because, not because your, your company shut it down, now, if that was the case, you didn't have no choice. But how many of your own free will said, I don't have to go to work because it don't matter if my electricity bill gets paid. I don't have to go to work because it don't matter if my house payment gets made. How many people said that during this time? 
Not many. You know why? Because you knew. I don't care if it's Corona. I don't care what it is. I have to do this because it is necessary for me to provide for my family. So here's the mentality that we have created. The public reading of Scripture, public prayer, the gathering together of God's saints is not necessary. See, here's the problem. We can look at what we receive from our work every Friday or whenever it is that you get that paycheck that comes in. Because if that paycheck don't come in, you, you, you know something's wrong, right? As long as that paycheck comes in, you have it and you're able to look at it and you're able to say, okay, this is what I receive from going to work every day. Here's the problem. We come in here but we do not see at the end of the service what we actually receive from coming together with the public reading of Scripture or the public prayer that we have together or the way that we minister to one another. We don't see it. We don't see that it's necessary. Because if we did see it, then it would be no different than family vacation because family vacation is necessary, right? I mean... What's the number? If you want to get Corona today, if you want to get COVID-19, where are get, give me two places in this world right now that you could go that you're going to have the most chance of picking up Corona? Gatlinburg and the beach. And yet, we will look at family vacation as so vital. And again, Please don't think that I'm trying to make anybody feel bad for going on family vacation. Like I said, I'm happy to go. <laughs> I mean, I, that's not, there's nothing wrong with a family vacation. I hope you see the point that I'm trying to make. The point is, is that we see it as vital enough that if I don't, I'm willing to go on this no matter who all is in Gatlinburg, no matter who all is at the beach, I'm willing to do this because it's that vital and so, and again, this is not everybody. We know that. But for the majority of us, that is true. It's, it is for me. I'm willing to go to Florida next week if you pay for it. I'm willing to go next week and take the chance to, uh, to, to get it. I mean, it's that vital to me. I mean, I just need to. Y'all know how it is. But I'm going to work every day. I'm making sure that I have to go to Walmart because my garden produces so much, but it ain't producing no hamburger meat for some reason. So I've still got to go to Walmart. I've still got to go to the grocery store and do things. And so I am still doing all the things that I have to do because it's necessary. But what is the one thing that for most everybody is really not necessary? You're sitting in it right now. Because if anything else comes up, family, whatever, I don't care what it is, if anything else comes up, guess what? I can't make it this morning. And I want to be very careful with this too because I'm also not trying to make people feel bad that have compromised immune systems. I had a couple last night that texted me and said, hey, uh, you know, we've got 103 cases in, in Giles County. I just don't feel comfortable right now because, again, these are people with lung issues. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad about making a decision like that. I'm not. 
I'm talking about just across the board for the everyday Joes like me and Nick and most of you. The truth of the matter is, for us, these responsibilities we have, they're really not that necessary, not that important. And the reason being is because it is a fight to do them in the first place. We have to maintain this fight within us. And during this time, we've created a mindset, and I want to apologize to you that I have been a little bit too laxed on it to the point that I have created a mindset in many of these people in this church that the truth of the matter is, it's just not that vital and it's just not that important. And I have sit back and myself and Nick and we have watched the spiritual health of these people decline. Let me tell you what's even worse than that. I have sit back and watched my spiritual health decline to the point that I'm ashamed to tell you how often I have prayed in the last month. Anybody else there with me? I have let my spiritual health decline so much that I am ashamed to stand before you. This message, the reason why I wanted to preach it is because it spoke to me first. And here's what God said. Kevin, these are the responsibilities that you have. And you must be them first you are going to serve as the pastor of this church. And then there comes these thoughts in your head that think, well, maybe I ought to just quit. Is that the answer? What about for you as a Christian? There's thoughts sometimes that you go, well, maybe I ought to just quit. I can't get it right no way, right? Right? Is that the answer? No. You know what the answer is? Turn around. Repentance is the answer. The answer is we come before God and we come before each other and we confess our sin. And we beg God to give us the strength and the faith and to give us the fight to get back in this thing to where we belong. To get back to progressing in our holiness to the point that you can see the progress in my life. And I'm sorry that you have not been able to see it. I'm sorry to my family that they have not been able to see it. I'm ashamed this morning that if we don't get Sunday school started back up, I don't know how much of the Bible my son will ever learn from me. And so I have to be careful to make sure that I understand that I live the example before Him and that I'm doing my duty to train up Him and then that I have the church's help to come along beside of me and to help teach me, to help teach my family, to help teach my children. And I'm sure there are many more in here that are with me on that that need the same thing. But Timothy had a lot of responsibilities here. That's the point. And all of them are not responsibilities that come natural. He must fight for these things. It's a struggle. This is probably the reason why 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 23. This is probably the reason why Paul tells Timothy here, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Young Timothy had a lot on him. Lots, a lot of struggles. A lot of things that were not... He was in a constant fight with himself and with all the fleshly things of this world. 
false teachers, men and women who want to fight and argue about who can do what and who can do this. And He has to stand up here and lovingly and gently teach the people how to progress in their holiness as He is fighting with His own self to make sure that He continues in a lifestyle of prayer, in a lifestyle of Scripture reading, in a lifestyle of growing in His holiness and in His Christ-likeness. And this is not an easy thing for Timothy to be able to do. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, getting back to the point of our message today, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, this is how Paul ends his exhortation to Timothy. Now when I say exhortation, here's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about encouragement. Exhortation is not necessarily encouragement. They are tied together at the hip, but they're not the same. Encouragement is basically when you lift someone's spirits and you just you encourage them in something. An exhortation is an urgent appeal, such as telling the troops to hold the line. So imagine it like this. We're an army this morning, and we're facing an enemy. And we're, we're beating this enemy down, but all of a sudden the enemy comes back stronger than we're used to. And we're being pushed back. And the general stands on top of the hill, and he looks out at the troops and he says, Hold the line! And that exhortation causes a strength to rise up in these troops. And they press back against the enemy and they hold the line. That is what this letter is. It's not just an encouragement. This is an exhortation. This is a cry for Timothy and for the church at Ephesus to hold the line. When you're being backed down and when everything in your flesh is rising up against you, this is the appeal that says, hold the line, guys. And listen to the way Paul does it. I love it. In verse 11. Now you would expect him to say in verse 11, but as for you, Timothy, everywhere else he's called him Timothy. But here he steps up and he says, but as for you, O man of God. Now remember, this is a guy that Paul's having to encourage him to be bold because he's timid. He's having to encourage him to address false teachers because he's young. He's having to encourage him to make sure that he gets the right qualified people in place in the church. He has to make sure that he's leading the church in a lifestyle of prayer. He has to make sure that, uh, that, that he is addressing the roles of men and women. And, and he's, he's got a lot on him. And naturally, he don't feel like he's fit for any of this. You know what I'm talking about? Naturally, he don't feel like he's fit for any of this role. And all of a sudden, Paul comes at the end of this letter and he says, hey, uh, by the way, old man of God, this is not just a young, timid guy that's got to drink wine just to get through the day. <laughs> this, is a, this is a man of God. Is he a man of God because he gets his prayer life right every time? Is he a man of God because he's always addressing every false teacher? No, he's probably let a lot of them go. That's probably the reason why Paul's having to address it. Is he a man of God because he just immerses himself in the Scripture and he devotes himself to it? No. Nope. Let me show you why he's a man of God. 
Go with me to verse um, 13, um, I'm sorry, verse 12, the very next verse. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were what? Called. Here's the first thing it takes to be a man of God or a woman of God. It's not a perfect life. It's not that you have it all together. The man of God, the woman of God, is the one who has been what? Called. He's the one that has heard the Holy Spirit say, Sinner, come to Jesus. And you came. And let me show you what happened next. Keep reading with me. To which you were called, and about which you made what? The good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here is the man of God and the woman of God. They are the man or the woman that have heard the call and they have answered the call and they have confessed that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Christ. They are the, just like Peter. You remember whenever Jesus came to Peter and He said, Hey Peter, um, who do men say that I am? Peter said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Moses, uh, some say you're just, a, you're just a good preacher, good teacher, good prophet. Jesus said, okay, but who do you say that I am? And you remember what Peter said? You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked back at him and said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but only the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus was saying. Peter, you have heard the call, you have answered the call, and you have made the confession that makes you a man of God. And how many of you know that not long after that, Peter is going to fall in the biggest way possible that any Christian could ever fall? By cursing and swearing that he don't know who this man is. His own Lord and Savior. And yet, He is a man of God. He is a woman of God. Because He's been called and because He professed that Jesus is Lord. I'll prove it to you. Go down with me to verse um, 13. 1 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in His testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So here's the confession he's talking about. Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate? And here's what Pontius Pilate said. He said, are you the Christ? Are you the King of the Jews? You remember what Jesus said? It is as you said it is. In other words, Jesus Christ Himself made the profession that I am the Son of God. I am the one sent from heaven to pay for the sins of all mankind and to apply my righteousness to all who profess their faith in me. And so what we have here is the profession of faith that Timothy has proclaimed and the call that Timothy has answered. And that is the encouragement and the exhortation that Paul gives the man of God right here to remind him, Timothy, I know you've fallen short. Timothy, I know that you're not where you should be. I know you're not addressing the situations that need to be addressed. 
But go back to verse 11 with me again. But as for you, O man of God, because that's who you are, here's what I want you to do. Flee these things. Flee these things. Guys, I've got to turn around. Nick, we've got to turn around. Thomas, we've got to turn around. Fagan, we've got to turn around. Gee, we've got to turn around. We've got to... Do you know what it wasn't mean to flee? Come on, y'all talk to me. Run. Run away. Get as far away from this as you can. In other words, look at the areas where you see right now that you are failing in. Where are you in your prayer life? Where are you in your reading of Scripture? And I'm going to help you with that this week. We're going to do this together. I'm going to lead you in this. But we have to evaluate where we are. And then it's not for us to just look at it and duck our head and go, well, I'm not even a man of God. Have you heard the call? Have you confessed before witnesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? then the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been applied to you, O man of God, O woman of God. And now your responsibility is to flee these things. Run away from these things. So there are three things here. Man, I wish I had five hours this morning. There are three things here. The first thing that Paul tells Timothy, you have to flee. You have to run away. The second thing that Paul tells Timothy, he says, pursue these things. Do you know what this word pursue means? So the first thing, we run away from something. The second thing, we aggressively chase something. What does it mean to aggressively chase? With everything you've got. With everything you've got, I want you to pursue this. And here's what he says. Pursue righteousness. Now remember, the righteousness of Christ has been applied to you already. So He's not telling you to try to be perfect. He's telling you to pursue and aggressively chase after what God has already given you, O man of God. So I want you to chase after Christ's likeness. I have people come to me all the time and they ask this question. What is the will of God for my life? And for the most part, when they ask this question, their mindset is, am I supposed to be a teacher? Am I supposed to play music? Am I supposed to uh, teach Sunday school? Am I supposed to be a preacher? Am I supposed to be a missionary, an evangelist? Uh, what, what is God's will for my life? Do you want to know biblically what God's will for your life is? Hold your spot in 1 Timothy and go with me to Romans chapter 8. Lord, help me. I'm fixing to get started here in a minute. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> and I'll have to find it because I didn't even plan on going here. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We'll start there. Here is God's will for your life. Biblically. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. 
What is what does the word destiny mean? It's vowed to happen, right? In other words, this is what God, because He foreknew you, this is what God said is going to happen in your life. This is your destiny. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, and here's what it is, to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined for this, He also did what? He called them. He called them. And then those whom He called, He also did what? He justified them. And the reason He justified them is because He also glorified them. In other words, here's what you see in this. The righteousness of Christ was applied to you when you were called. The Bible says, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that you might be the righteousness of God. So a great exchange took place during the call on your life. Your sin was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross and the righteousness of Christ in which He lived. How many of you know the reason why Jesus had to come from a baby to the time He died was because He had to live a perfect life that we failed at. He had to live out the righteousness that God requires of us. I want you to understand something this morning, church. You will not get into heaven unless you are perfect. Let me say that again for those of you that didn't hear me. You will not get into heaven unless you are perfect. Because the standard of God is perfection. The reason why sinners like you and I will get to go to heaven is because the perfection that Christ lived in the human body has been applied to me. See, there are songs that are out right now, one that I struggle with. I love the song as far as the way it sounds. I love the, the, the beat to it. It's a song, I think Corey Asbury sings it. It's called, uh, My Father's House. Check your shame at the door because it ain't welcome anymore. You're in the Father's house. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I love the concept, but there's one part in that song that is absolutely false. In that song there is a lyric that says this, You never wanted perfect. You only wanted my heart. Wrong. Not only did God want perfect, He demands it. That is the very reason why Jesus Christ came and lived the life that He lived was so that the perfection that God demands can be applied to you. Y'all tracking with me? And the moment we start saying that God does not demand perfection is the moment we take the righteousness of Christ and say, it don't matter. No. The righteousness and the per perfect lived life of Jesus Christ must be applied to you. And if it is not applied to you and your sin applied to Him, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what we have in Romans chapter 8 is a description of the fact that when Jesus died, 
the ones whom God had already chosen that their destiny, this is what it would be to be conformed to the image of Christ, is because the righteousness of Christ had been applied to them, and those whom that righteousness would be applied, He called them, and when He called them, they came in. Jesus said, My sheep know My voice, and they come to Me. He said, I have sheep that are not of this fold, that I must go out and get. So they hear the call, and the ones who are called are the ones that come in, and they are justified. And when they are justified, the sin that they owe for is applied to Christ. The righteousness that Christ lived is applied to you and you are justified for your sin. Not because God just says, I forgive you just because I'm a forgiving God. No. God is a just God. God is not just a forgiving God. God requires that justice be served for your sin. The reason why God is such a forgiving God is because Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin. And now the righteousness of Christ can be applied to you and you can be declared not guilty, justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorifies. And the way He glorifies you is that He conforms you to the image of His Son. So now we are to live out the righteousness that has been applied to us by being conformed to that image. Are y'all with me? And so we have to understand that we have to pursue this. It does not come natural. We have to flee the things that comes natural to us and we have to pursue the righteousness that does not come natural to us that has already been applied to us. And then he goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 11. We pursue godliness. We pursue faith. We pursue love. We pursue steadfastness. And we pursue gentleness. And I wished I had time to preach a series on each one of them because each one of them is important to understand what you are aggressively chasing after. We'll just take it one step at a time. And so, we flee, we pursue... And then the last step, look with me again in uh, verse 12. What's the last step? We fight. We fight the good fight of faith. Paul understands that this is not something... Listen guys, church, listen to me. If all you do is get up in the morning and go to work and come home and pay your bills and just pop in for church every now and then, if that's all you do, you will not naturally drift toward holiness. If you're not fleeing some things, and you're not aggressively chasing other things, and you're not fighting for that, it is not going to happen naturally. And I want you to understand, if you self-evaluate this morning, you're probably going to see that not only am I not fleeing, and not only am I not pursuing, but I'm not even fighting. See, there's too many people that we walk around this world and we go, well, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not homosexual. I'm not a thief. I try not to lie. I try to, uh, to speak nice to people and I try to be compassionate and I try to help the poor when I can. I don't care if you do it all. 
If you're not fleeing your flesh and pursuing after the righteousness of Christ and fighting with everything in you to do it through the tools of prayer, through the tools of corporate prayer, I want you to understand this letter is written to the pastor about how he leads the church. When he tells them to pray that all the men should pray with holy hands lifted up without anger and quarreling, he wants them to understand that this is something we do together. Together. And if we're not actively pursuing personal prayer and then corporate prayer, if we're not actively pursuing um, a personal study life and then a corporate study life, then, and then we're not fighting for it. And if you're not fighting the good fight of faith, then the question is, have you heard the call? And have you made the confession? And if those two things are true, then the answer is not to duck your head and just feel sorry and quit. Should we be ashamed? Why, yeah, I'm ashamed. But the answer is not to quit. The answer is to turn around and to get back to the things that matter. Like I said, the reason I know this is because it begins here first. And then I look out here and I see it. And I'm not saying I have some special gift, but I do believe as pastors and as the role that God has put us in, He also gives us the abilities we need to be able to fulfill those roles. And one of them things we need to be able to see is where you are in your spiritual walk. And I stand before you as a pastor telling you that personally, I've not been there. But I'm changing that. And I also stand before you as a pastor and say, personally, the majority of you have not been there. But I believe that you can change that. And I believe that we can change it together. If we will flee, if we will pursue, and if we will stay in the fight, the good fight of faith. <clears throat> I'm going to close with an <clears throat> application. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this week, I want to ask you to do this. <clears throat> Basically, what I'm going to be talking about is fasting. And I know a lot we're Baptists. We don't, I used to teach on it quite a bit. I haven't taught on it in a while. But just the very short summary lesson, fasting is just this. It's just simply a spiritual exercise in which we teach the flesh that the flesh is not in control and we surrender to the Spirit of God. That's all fasting is. So take for instance, if you fast a meal then the only thing you're doing is you're telling your body, because for a lot of us, not all of us, but for a lot of us, to fast a meal or certain meals, that's tough. Your flesh says, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I ain't doing it. I mean, that right there ought to be evidence to you of how serious your flesh is and how in control your flesh is. Your flesh will tell you, I don't want to do this. For some of you, it may not be a meal. It may not be food at all. It may be that stupid cell phone you hold. It may be that life-sucking Facebook tool that you use every day. 
It may be, I don't know what it is. It may be the TV that you come into. It may be just your recliner that you go in and set your rear end in and you sit there until when it, I don't know. But there is something in your life. And I'm going to ask the church to start with this. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to send a message out through the church text system. Now half the people are going to get it and ain't got a clue what I'm doing. But for you, you will. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to send a message out. It will have a scripture and it will have a question that you are to ask yourself after you read the scripture. So take for instance, let's say today I sent you out 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. And you read it and you said, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. If I sent you that, I might ask you the question, what does this teach you about God? And so the first thing you might say is, well, this teaches me that there are men of God. God has men. God has sinners like me that He calls for some purpose. Ain't that something that's pretty important to know about God? Ain't you glad that God calls sinners to serve with Him? Or you might say, uh, what does this teach me about God? Well, flee these things. Here's what that teaches me. There are some things in my life that God would have me to do what? Run away from. And so that may lead you to an application in your life to where you ask the question, okay, what are some things in my life that the Holy Spirit says to me personally, Kevin, you need to run away from these things. You have not been aggressively attacking these areas in your life. What are those areas for you? You could go further and you could say, okay, pursue these things. What does that teach you about God? There are some things that God wants you to go after. What are the things that God wants you to go after? Righteousness. God, you see what I'm saying? It's really not that difficult to sit down with the Scripture and for you to hear from God. Because here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to just guilt you into reading the Bible. If all you do is go home and say, alright pastor, I'll pray. Alright, you got me. I'll read. I don't want to, but I'll read. If all you do is say, okay, you got me pastor, I'm going to come to church. I don't really want to, but I will. If that's all that happens, that's, that's nothing. I don't accomplish anything. But if I actually help you hear from God, and you pick up that Word, and you listen to what God says, and you hear Him speak to you, and you hear Him say, Thomas, run away from this. Thomas, go after this. Elizabeth, run away from this. Elizabeth, go after this. And you start getting a personal application because the Word of God spoke to you, I promise you, you are going to be at that moment pursuing godliness, pursuing righteousness. You're going to be conforming to the image of Christ which is the destiny that God has already predestined for you to walk in. And so what I'm trying to get you to do is start. And here's what I hope it will get you to do. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when I send the Scripture out, you start with a simple word of prayer. Here's your prayer. Father, open my eyes. Show me what You want me to see. Speak to me from Your Word today. 
That's simple. And then, after you've prayed, you read the Scripture. And you take just a few minutes to ask yourself the question that I asked. And then after you find the personal application for your life, I want you to end it in prayer because that leads you into talking to God. Here's what I'm trying to establish in your life. I'm trying to establish a habit of you hearing from God and talking to God through prayer. And so we go to our Word and we hear from God. And then we take what we've heard from God and we go back to God and we say, God, forgive me for not fleeing this. Forgive me for not pursuing this. God, give me strength. Put me around people that will hold me accountable so that I can do this and help me with this. Do you see the way that it changes your prayer life? And so my goal in this is to hope that we together can turn around together and we can begin to pursue the things that God would have us pursue and that I can help you to stay in the fight. Because the truth of it is, most of us have quit fighting. We're not even fighting. We're just sitting down and we're just going through the motions. I want to put you in the fight. And I want to start with me. I want to start with Nick. And then I want it to bleed over into each and every one of you. And we need each other to do it. Daniel, I can't do this and don't want to do this without you. Ronnie, I can't do this and I don't want to do this without you. Dale, I cannot do this and I don't want to do this without you. You are the people that God has put in my life and I am a person that God has put in your life to help you, to minister to you, and to pray with you, and to come together and pray together, to come together and study together, and come together and grow together as we are all conformed to the image of Christ, which is the will of God for my life and the will of God for your life. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's the application that's coming to you. And I pray that you'll put it into practice. I'm going to take a mental picture of all of you right now. I may just call some of you. I may just ask you where you're at. I may just ask you um, what your application was from it. I don't know, but I know this. I got too big a responsibility to take it lightly. And I got one of two choices. I either got to turn around and take this thing serious or I better quit. I better get out of it. And the truth of the matter is, the same is true for you.